Hot today, I was liking that. That's good stuff. God has blessed our church with so many amazing musicians, and I'm constantly grateful for the people that serve and uh, give of their talent in that way. So thank you guys for always being so faithful to do that. Over the last few weeks, we've been sharing about the vision of the church, which is love God, love people, love Warsaw. And Ben asked you guys who, re- who remembered what I had to say in the first sermon in that series, and nobody remembered, which was really lame. So what I talked about was putting God first. And the ben, shed, ben said that we show love for God by loving people. And today we're going to talk about loving Warsaw. In the American church, there's this idea, it's a horrible idea, I don't really know where it came from, I didn't take the time to figure it out, but there's this horrible idea that there's missionaries that we send overseas, and we send those people some money, and then we stay home and we get to do whatever we're doing. That is not a biblical idea whatsoever. Yes, we do support missionaries that go overseas because we're called to go into all the world, but in reality, every single one of us are missionaries. There's not one person who's sitting in this room that God did not intend to be a missionary. You, every single one of you was called to be a missionary. Some of us were called to be missionaries in Tibet, like our friends that we support there, some like the Bowdens in Africa, some in China, and some in Warsaw, like the D'Antonios, or some in Mount Morris, like the Murphys, or some in the woods somewhere between Warsaw and Attica, like the Webers. All of us are called to be missionaries. There's not one of you who is not called to be a missionary. Every single one of you is called to be a missionary. Uh, there's these two things that I always like to look for in the Bible. They're things that I specifically like, just something that uh, sticks out to me. The first thing is when Jesus asks a question. It's always funny to me when Jesus asks a question because when I ask a question, I'm looking for information I don't know. But Jesus knows everything. So when Jesus asks a question, He's trying to get you to see something that you might not have heard or understood unless you heard the answer from your own voice. The other thing that I always look for is when Jesus tells a story. When Jesus tells a story, he's not simply trying to entertain you or say something funny. When Jesus tells a story, he's trying to unfold a truth in a way that you could understand and embrace that could set you free. I'm going to read a portion of scripture this morning that has both of these in it. It has Jesus asking a question that he already knows the answer to, and it has Jesus telling a story. We're going to start reading in Luke chapter 10 this morning. We're going to start in verse 25. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is where Jesus asked the question. He says, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The lawyer answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live, meaning you'll have eternal life. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, Who is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus tells a story. In reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, who was another religious leader. When he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. 
But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, and he bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn to take care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after, the, look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. I want to focus in on verse 27. So the lawyer answered, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. When the lawyer said that, he was actually quoting two scriptures from the Old Testament. That, the first scripture is Deuteronomy 6, 5. It says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And then he was, he was quoting Leviticus 19.18, which says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. These phrases are actually speckled throughout the entire Bible. I'm just going to show you a few other occasions where they show up. This is uh, Galatians 5.14. It says, For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. And the Mark twenty two, thirty three said, Well said, teacher, the man replied, You are right in saying that God is one and there is no one but him. To love him with all of your heart, with all of your understanding, with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings or sacrifices. And then lastly, in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, it says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. First of all, when something this similar, or in some cases identical, is repeated that many times in the Bible, like, we must pay attention to it. The Bible doesn't ever repeat anything on accident. God didn't forget what he had somebody write in there the first time. He's repeating it because it's absolutely crucial and centric to the faith. It's something that each one of us have to know and we have to be reminded of regularly. That verse that I read in Matthew ends with this phrase, the law and the prophets are hanging on these two commandments. What does that mean, the law and the prophets are hanging on these two commandments. Uh, in the story that I read, Jesus picked on a lawyer, so I determined that it's lawyer day here at Family Life Church, and I'm going to pick on a lawyer too. In fact, I'm going to pick on my lawyer. It's R.D. So far, he's only been my lawyer for real estate transactions, and he said I ought to keep it that way, but we'll see what happens. So R.D., what's the toughest test you ever took in your life? Okay. And if you had to guess, I know it would be hard to guess, how many hours do you think you studied for that? A year and a half. A year and a half. Or that's a lot of hours. I don't even know how many hours that is. That's a lot of hours. And how, how tall is the stack of books that you had to study for, for that exam? A, a four foot tall? Wow. That's a lot. Like, that's a lot of time. That's a lot of I bet you were stressed out. Just a little. Still trying to recover from it. Okay. 
That's a lot. Now let's imagine for a second that somebody came, a seasoned lawyer came to RD before he was about to start studying for this test, and he said, like, you're about to devote a year and a half, and you've got to read a stack of books up to your waist. But really, it just boils down to two questions. You're going to take this exam. There's really only two questions you need to know the answer to. There's a lot of information you're going to take in these books that you read, and that's going to be important throughout the rest of your life, and you're going to need to know that information. But to pass this test, you really only need to know these two things. That's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Of course, the Bible is littered with everything that you need to know for your life. There's no situation that you find yourself in that the Bible doesn't speak to. It speaks to every single thing you're dealing with in your life. But if you boil it all down, Jesus is saying there's only two things you really need to know. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus tells this story of the Samaritan to illustrate what it means to love your neighbor. And if I had to boil down what Jesus said just into a short phrase, what I would say is, loving your neighbor means showing mercy to those in need in front of you. Showing mercy to those who are in need in front of you. So everything you need to know is in the Bible. And it can all be boiled down to these two phrases, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to show mercy to those who are in front of you who are in need. There's this gauge on your car. Maybe some of you have never looked at it before. Maybe you ought to once in a while. I know my wife should, should because she uh, overheated our van one time and blew the head gasket on it. That was a special day. But um, there's this gauge that tells you what the temperature is in your car. And usually it's like, should be in the middle, which is around like 200 degrees or something like that. You should check it out once in a while, see how it's doing. But let's pretend that your life had a gauge on it. Your life had a meter on it. It's called the mercy meter. And over on one side of the gauge is low. That's when you're not really giving mercy to the people around you. And over on the other side is high. And that's when you're showing mercy to as many people as you can find to show mercy to. You're giving mercy away like it's free. What would the mercy meter of your life look like? Would you be somebody who's being extremely merciful to everyone you can find to be merciful to? Or are you being, you know, not so merciful? How merciful are you with people who are different than you? Or maybe I could say it this way, how merciful are you with people who sin differently than you do? Each one of us have sin in our life. In fact, most of the time, we've gotten too comfortable with the sin in our life. In fact, we've even gotten so comfortable with the sin in our life that we don't even really think it's sin anymore. It's just like, oh, that's just part of who I am and what I do. But you see someone sin just a little bit differently than you do, and we start picking up rocks to stone that person for the sin in their life. We probably don't pick up rocks physically, but in 2020 what we do is we blast people on social media. That's basically the Christian equivalent to stoning somebody. How do you do at giving mercy to someone who sins differently than you do? This week I heard someone tear apart someone who they said were living off the government, living off of my hard-earned tax dollars. How do you do at showing mercy to someone who lives off the government. Are you merciful to that person or do you cast judgment? How do you do at showing mercy to someone who has a different level of education than you do? Maybe someone who doesn't have as many degrees as you do or someone who didn't 
pass high school or didn't graduate from college? How do you do it showing mercy to that person? Uh, since it's 2020, I'll say, how do you do at showing mercy to someone who has different political views than you do? Someone who sees the issue of politics different than you do. Do you show mercy to those people? Clearly, by the things that you say, you think they need mercy because you think there's something severely wrong with them. Do you show mercy to them or do you just cast shame and judgment on those people? When our mercy meter is getting low, it's usually because we have forgotten that we too are sinners saved by grace. That we didn't deserve. We didn't do anything to deserve the grace of God. None of us did. We see other people's sin as being greater than the sin in our own life. There's this guy whose house I used to walk by sometimes. And this guy's house was atrocious. Like, the gutters were falling off of it, paint was peeling off it, the, the shingles that should have been on his roof were laying in the street half the time. He had a huge hole in the porch that you'd have to walk across to get to his front door. And if you even wanted to walk to it, you'd have to tiptoe across the joist to get there. The grass was like four feet tall in his yard, and it looked like he set up for the world's biggest yard sale, and then there was a hurricane and a tornado, and then he just went inside and called it a day. It was just ridiculous. Like You could lose your child in his yard easily. And by the way, I'm sharing this story. Clearly, you can see that I judged this guy. I didn't really show him mercy. I, just, I looked down on him. I'm like, dude, come on. Like We're trying to make Warsaw a better community. We're trying to bring it up. Like Do your part, bro. But no, he wasn't doing that. And I judged him for it. And I judged him for it until I got to know one of his neighbors. And eventually his neighbor told me that this guy had a condition. He actually used to keep his yard and his house like perfect, immaculate, almost too perfect. Like he was like just serious about it. And then he developed this condition. This condition made it so that he couldn't do any of that stuff anymore. And it, the few times that he had, went out there and tried to fix things, he'd pay for it by being in pain for months and months. And for a while after he developed this condition, his family was in the area and they could help him. But eventually his family got taken out west for their job. So now this guy's alone by himself, nobody to help him, nobody to take care of his house. And here I am just casting judgment on him instead of giving him mercy. And I can't help but wonder what would have happened if I would have taken the chance to show him mercy. Maybe if I knocked on the door and asked how he was doing, if there, see if there was anything he needed. Or maybe I mowed his lawn for him or put his gutters back up. I wonder if that could have opened the door for me to share the gospel with him, but instead I cast judgment on this man and I didn't show him mercy and I didn't get that opportunity. There's two things that God is calling us to do. He's calling us to reflect and he's calling us to respond. When we reflect the grace, mercy, and generosity that we have received from God, we change people's lives. One of the definition for re definitions for reflect is without absorbing. I just want you to picture yourself holding a mirror and God is giving you grace, mercy, and generosity. And you're just holding that mirror, reflecting that grace, mercy, and generosity on people who are in front of you who need it. I promise you there's people in your life that need grace, mercy, and generosity. And God is calling us to just hold a mirror and just reflect that grace, mercy, and generosity to them. Just pretend for a minute that I hired a camera crew that, to follow you around for the last few months. 
They'd probably catch you doing all kinds of weird stuff like eating Cheerios and throwing them to the dog or driving to, the work, to work or picking your nose in your car or any number of things that you'd get caught doing. Maybe throwing the remote at the TV during the Bills game, all kinds of unimportant things. But you're also going to be caught reflecting something to the world around you. There's no neutral bystanders when it comes to reflecting. Each one of us is reflecting something to the world around us. What are you reflecting? Would we have caught you reflecting grace, mercy, and generosity? Or would we have caught you reflecting anger? Would we have caught you reflecting judgment? Or frustration? Or self-preservation? Or pride? This week, a dear saint who's been a part of Family Life Church for a number of years went, home, went to be home with Jesus. Her name was Marion Miller. Some of you probably know her and know her well. Maybe some of you don't know her at all. Over the later season of her life, she wasn't able to attend church as faithfully as she once did. She struggled with the challenges that most people do as they age. But this woman was so full of joy and encouragement. I think you would be hard-pressed to find anyone who said a bad thing about this woman. She just gave away joy and encouragement constantly. That's just who she was. I can remember when I first came on staff at the church, oftentimes I would, she used to attend very faithfully then, um, I'd get done leading worship or preaching, and she would always come find me and greet me. And she would tell me about something specific that happened in the worship service that ministered to her, or something specific in the sermon that encouraged her or challenged her she used to say that hit me right between the eyes she would say pastor jonathan god has done amazing things in your life and he's going to do so many more she used to tell me that all the time god has done amazing things in your life and he's going to do so many more she was reflecting grace mercy and generosity when you're around people who feel loved it's so obvious it was so obvious to me that Marion felt loved. She had experienced grace, mercy, and generosity from God. And because of that, she literally could not help but give it away to the people around her, to you and to me. If you're not feeling like you're a very gracious, merciful, or generous person, there's a real good chance it's because you haven't been very connected to the source of mercy, grace, and generosity when you put god first like i said in the first sermon in this series when he's first in your life he's going to give you grace upon grace upon grace and mercy upon mercy upon mercy that you don't even deserve you don't even understand it it's like you don't feel like you should be in his presence because you know who you are but he just keeps giving you grace mercy and generosity i mean how generous has god been to you seriously you don't deserve it a bit you're a mess, just like me. But God has been so generous to you. He's been so kind. And when you receive that generosity, that kindness, you can't help but give it away to the people around you. There's a few names that Jesus uses to define you. And I've heard you guys call some other people some names. And these aren't the kind of names that you use to call people. But these are the names that Jesus uses to, to define believers. He calls us salt and light. We all mostly put salt on our food, some of us more than others. My wife is a salt fiend. It's a problem. We all put salt on our food usually. But salt doesn't taste the same as the object you're putting it on. If I'm putting salt on meat, 
It's not like the salt tastes like meat. It's not like I'm putting meat flavor on top of meat. That wouldn't make sense too much. We're putting salt on it because it tastes different. It stands out. It's very obvious. And then light literally changes the darkness. My daughter yesterday, she was walking over to a friend's house and it was dark out and she was taking the dog. And she took this big DeWalt flashlight that I have and she walked outside and I looked out the back window to see where she was going and to make sure she was getting where she wanted to go safe. And she's lighting up the whole neighborhood with this thing. Like I'm sure like the neighbors thought there was police in the backyard or something. Like she's just lighting up the whole... She's changing the darkness completely. That darkness was not the same when she walked out there with that light. Can these things be said about you? Do you look and taste different than the world around you? Do you walk into dark situations and literally change it with the light that's coming out of you? Another name that the Lord gives us is agents of reconciliation. We've been in like one of the craziest years ever. And during 2020, I've spent a lot of time praying and asking the Lord and thinking about what can we offer to the world in 2020? There's all kinds of chaos going on around us and all kinds of insanity. But what can we offer as Christians to the world around us? Is there anything America needs more in 2020 than agents of reconciliation? Are you offering reconciliation to the world around you or just division like everyone else? Everyone can offer up division. That's not hard. But are you an agent of reconciliation? Are you reconciling a broken world to a God who takes that which is broken and makes it beautiful? How many of you see brokenness around you? All around you, brokenness, broken people, broken lives. Reconcile those broken lives to a God who can take that which is broken and make it beautiful. And then the Bible says we're going to shine like stars among a crooked and perverse generation. You know, there's not a lot of things that people are agreeing on on, in 2020. It's like everyone's disagreeing about everything. But I think almost everyone could agree that we live in a broken and perverse generation, a crooked and depraved generation. For different reasons people would think that, but everyone would say that the world we live in is depraved and crooked. And God says right in the middle of that broken world that you live in, he says that you are going to shine like a star. How bright has your life been? Have you been shining like a star or has your life been kind of dull? I don't know if you've been around stars too often, but stars don't talk a whole lot. Stars don't create division. They just sit up in the midst of a dark sky and they shine. They sit up in the midst of a dark sky and they shine God's glory on the earth. You can take someone who doesn't know God at all, someone who hasn't really talked to God or even thought about God for the last year, let alone the last week, and on a beautiful summer night, he will lay on his back in the grass, he will look up at the stars, and you know what he'll say? He'll say, well, I don't know if you're out there. I don't know if you can even hear me. I don't even know if you exist. But if you do, this is what's been going on in my life. And he'll begin to talk to a God who he doesn't even believe in, doesn't even know if he exists or he can hear his prayer. He'll begin to talk to God because 
the stars that shine and display God's glory pointed him to a father. One time I, uh, I went to college. It was my freshman year. I came home and I, I uh, got a message from a friend who I hadn't seen during that whole year. We were, he was in my class. And he knew that I was going to Bible school. And we were actually pretty close in school. And he went and he did his thing at college. And I went to the school that I went to. And we came back and we sat on the back deck of the parsonage. It was a beautiful night, like not a cloud in the sky. And we sat there and he had had a really hard year. He let me know a bunch of stuff that he had done that he wished he wouldn't have done. He was embarrassed and ashamed. He hadn't talked to God in a long time. And we sat there, we sat on top of a picnic table with our feet sitting on the bench of the picnic table. And I was looking down while he was talking, and I was just listening. And he was telling me about all the stuff that had gone on. And I looked over at the picnic table, and I saw a tear hit the bench under his feet. And he looked up at the stars, and he said, God, it's been a while. He said, would you forgive me? Would you wash me and make me clean? It was the stars that were shining the glory of God that led this guy to repent before God. Is your life so reflecting before men that you're pointing people to God? That's what you're called to. You've been born again into the family of God. Your DNA has literally changed. You are now a child of God and you are called to shine in the midst of a broken and perverse world not only are we called to reflect but we're also called to respond we're called to respond with grace mercy and generosity to our neighbors respond means to say something in reply i want you to think that just picture yourself getting an email from somebody who asked you some questions and then you thought about it you did some research. You investigated. You spent time thinking and praying about how to respond. And then you gave a thoughtful, intentional, specific response. I want you to imagine a couple hundred missionaries from Family Life Church going all over Wyoming County, all over Warsaw. A couple hundred of them with calculation, with intentionality, using grace, mercy, and generosity like a weapon in their hand to defeat the schemes of the enemy. With specific intention, not just throwing it out there like, oh, you know, I'm going to respond to somebody in a gracious way, but with intentionality. Ben told us a story last week about uh, our, our dear friend, Jean, who ha- carries an umbrella in her car. She always carries an extra umbrella in her car. That's not her just simply in the moment thinking of something to do. That's, she thought about it ahead of time. She strategized ahead of time. It cost her money. It cost, she had to go into Walmart and buy an extra umbrella. She was strategizing a plan to communicate the love of God to someone with mercy, grace, and generosity. How could you strategically reach the community around you with grace, mercy, and generosity? This is something that I've been trying to do for a while. I don't do it perfectly by any stretch of the imagination. But I've tried to reflect and respond with grace, mercy, and generosity with the people around me, in my neighborhood, with the people that are around me. 
Sometimes that looks like somebody asking me, hey, can you help me rehang the fascia on my house that fell down? Sometimes it's someone who uh, their battery died in their car and they said, hey, could you come give me a jump? Or sometimes it's somebody who comes and says, hey, can I bounce some stuff off of you? Like I've been trying to figure out what to do in this situation and I'm not really sure. Sometimes it's someone who comes and knocks on my door and says, hey, could you give me a blessing? And they want me to pray a, a prayer over, a blessing over them. So I pray with them. It's all kinds of stuff like that. Sometimes it's a, a neighbor who uh, her husband passed away and I will snowblow her driveway to try and help her out. All these just kind of things like that to try and build a bridge of relationship with the people around me. The other day there was a situation that happened and somebody who lives near me came and knocked on my door and shared about the situation and asked what to do. And So I talked to that person for a little bit and gave a couple ideas and thoughts and then Another person came about the situation. Then I went and tried my best to help them in this situation. And then the situation kind of expanded. And um, April was away. She was here for mops. And I put the kids to bed. And now there's like a bunch of people at my door. And they're like, hey, Mr. John, that's what they call me. Hey, Mr. John, um, can you come into this situation with us? And would you be willing to talk to us about what we should do in this situation? And I'm like, I guess, like if you, do you need me to? I guess so. So I'm trying to be generous with my time. I'm trying to be gracious and merciful. So I'm like, all right, I'll go with you guys. So I go to these people and we go into this house. It is like Jerry Springer on steroids. I mean, it is just utter and complete chaos. At one point, I'm just like, how did I get myself in this situation? Like what in the world is going to, like, I had no idea what was going to happen next because each thing that happened was completely shocking. And I was like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Then another thing, didn't see that one coming. Like I had no idea what was going to happen next. And eventually this guy who happened to be drunk and high said, "Um, look, I brought this guy and he's full of wisdom. I brought him here to help us tonight. I'd like to introduce John to you guys. So this is John. He's helped me a lot of times. He's prayed for me and He's really been a blessing. So this is what we're going to do. Whatever John says to do, each one of you are going to do. So I don't care if you like it or not. Whatever John says to do, you're doing. So he looks at this one guy and said, did you hear me? Yeah, I heard you. Do you hear me? Whatever John says to do, you're going to do. And he went around the room and all of them said, okay, whatever John says to do, we're going to do. So I'm like, here I am, Jerry, up on Jerry Springer. I'm like, okay. I mean, these people never would have invited me into the most disgusting parts of their life if I didn't build a bridge of relationship. And I had to be willing to pay the price to do that. And I had to be willing to go into the situation that even felt a little bit unsafe. But I built a bridge of relationship with these people by showing them mercy, grace, and generosity that opened the door for them to invite me into the most challenging parts of their life, stuff that they couldn't even figure out what to do with amongst themselves. I wanted to show you guys a video today to just illustrate to you how easy it could be for you to this week, not some day in the future, not some, yeah, maybe one day I'll go for that, to this week, start building a bridge of relationship with your neighbors that would open the door to you giving them grace, mercy, and generosity that could set them free. Check out this video.
a few years ago, the leadership of the church spent a number of days together hammering out the vision of the church and where we believed what God wanted us to go. And that's actually where this uh, idea of love God, love people, love Warsaw came from. We kicked around a bunch of ideas. Lots of people were throwing out all kinds of ideas. One of the ideas was a community center. And we, just, we ended up not, doing, uh, not pursuing a community center, not because there was anything wrong with it or we didn't want there to be one, but there was just so many ideas that people threw out and we couldn't really possibly do all of them. But I wonder, what if instead of there being a community center in Warsaw, what if there were 25 or 30 or 50 homes all around Warsaw, like you can see on this map here, that began to be places of light in a dark generation? What if there were 50 or even more homes around Warsaw that began to be known as places where mercy, generosity, and grace were given away every day and every night? Places that people know they could go when they needed to talk to someone who had wisdom. Places that people could go if they knew they needed encouragement or they needed, they needed something specific. I want to encourage you this week to step out of your comfort zone. Stop going home at the end of work and shutting the door of your house and turning on the news and then talking about how bad the world is. Talking about being afraid about the, the world you're going to leave to your kids or your grandkids. Stop being afraid of the world you're going to leave and go out and do something about it. Go out and meet your neighbors. Go out and share the love of Christ with everyone you can. This video illustrated how easy that would be. I wonder what Warsaw, what Wyoming County would look like if we had 200 people that walked around Warsaw and Wyoming County and they didn't just walk their dog anymore. Yeah, they walked their dog, but they were on mission. They were looking for people they could give mercy away to. What if we had people that didn't just go to the park to get their exercise in and do what they're going to do? What if we had 200 people that went there and said, could I be a light in a dark place today? What if each one of us actually began to look at ourselves like missionaries and took seriously loving our neighbors? Because that's what the great commandment is to us, is to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to give mercy away to those in front of us who are in need. How many of you know somebody who needs mercy? You know somebody whose life is messed up? Somebody who feels bad about, about where they're at? When we do something stupid, we know it was stupid. We know it was bad. We don't really need someone to heap shame on us. That's not what Jesus came to do. He doesn't heap shame on those people who are broken. Jesus came to remove the shame by giving mercy. Would you bow your heads this morning? Lord, I pray for each one who's here who heard this sermon. Lord, I ask that you would use us in Warsaw. You would use us in Wyoming County. Use us in this place. Lord, don't let us be people who check out from the Great Commission, who check out from that that you've called us to. That we would begin to give mercy away. We begin to reflect mercy, grace, and generosity everywhere we go. It would just spill out of us. And that we would strategically respond to the world around us with grace, mercy, and generosity. Lord, I ask for each one who's here who feels like that sounds good, but they feel nervous about it, or they've made it to be some big thing in their mind. Lord, I ask that this week they would take a step. 
They'd go for a walk looking for people they can connect with. They'd reach out to someone they know is in need. They'd reach out to someone who's struggling and needs mercy. And Lord, I ask that Family Life Church would lift the shame off of people who have been beat down by life. People who are walking around feeling like shame is just weighing them down. That as ambassadors of Christ, we would lift the shame off those people, Lord. Lord, I ask you to use us and I ask that you would make each one of us have a heart to be available. As we put you first in our life, that we would begin to have a heart for the things that you have a heart for. In your name I pray, amen. Have a blessed week. Um, go and love your neighbors. For those of you that have kids downstairs, um, we're going to release, the ushers are going to release you guys. And when you're released, if you have kids downstairs, if you could make your way down there quickly to get them, uh, the workers down there would appreciate it. Thank you guys.